and grateful that you'll be able to join us. Uh, with that, I want to go ahead and ask you to turn to the book of James because we're continuing our journey through a time for faith, a time for faith. Two weeks ago, I talked about reasonable faith, and we found in the, in the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 11 that, in fact, a time for faith was reasonable faith because it was substantive and because it was evidential and because we serve a God who has his fingerprints all over this world. Last week we talked about transformational faith and I shared a little bit of our story about our son Seth as we looked in the Word of God and we saw that Jesus healed a man who had been born blind and how that man had been transformed from a man who saw Jesus as just another man to, a man, to Jesus being a prophet, to Jesus being from God, and then ultimately as Jesus himself being the Lord of lords and King of kings. And so today we want to look at actionable faith. Actionable faith. How do we take our faith and live it out each and every day? And so we're going to look at James and uh, I want you to turn to chapter 2 in your pew Bible, that's page 1173. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 14, chapter 2 of James, verse 14, and it begins this way. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you by my faith, by what I do. You believe what there is, that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Lord, this is your word. We thank you for it. We pray, Lord, that it will pierce our hearts and compel us into action. Lord, our faith must be a living faith. And we learn this not only from James, but Jesus himself, who is the great pioneer of our faith. And we pray this in his capable name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing we need to address here is James's comments about faith and works seem to contradict what we know about what Paul had to say. And so 
if you think about it this way, James asks two questions right off the top. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Well, you can understand that the implied answer to that question is it's meaningless. Having no deeds to back up your faith or to be a product of your faith is meaningless. But then he asks the second question. Can such faith save him? Well, now, we're going to get into troubled waters here, can't we? If you think about it, now all of a sudden, James, it seems as though he is saying you have to have faith and works in order to be saved. But that's not what Paul said. So let's look at what Paul had to say. Up on the screen there, you can see it. What does it say? Where then is boasting? Where is boasting? It is excluded because of what, the, what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Paul backs it up when in Ephesians he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul clearly is saying that we are saved by faith alone. But James here says things that seem to contradict. Look at what's happening. And James, what does he say? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? We just read it. A few verses later, he says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. And then he goes on and he finishes out, this is our memory verse for the week, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what's going on? I will share with you that these men are addressing very different issues to very different audiences. Paul is dealing with people who have come into the church or come behind him into his churches that he planted, and they were saying, oh, it's okay to believe in Jesus. It's okay to believe in God, but you must also keep all of the law, all of the Mosaic law in order to be saved. Paul was saying, no, it is by faith you are saved, and that not of works, lest anyone should boast. He's dealing with people who are saying you've got to add something to faith in order to be saved. And so Paul is saying that is not true. He's dealing with that audience. But then James is dealing with a different issue. You had people who are coming in who are saying, you know what? I believe in God. I believe in Christ. And now I'm going to sit down and watch ESPN. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to utilize my newfound faith. I'm not going to put it into action. I'm just going to take my little personal relationship with Jesus and go and sit in the corner. And James is saying, that kind of faith is dead. And that's what we want to address this morning. So we understand now that there is no contradiction. These two men are dealing with different issues within the same church. And so my question to you, church family, is James's question. Is your faith real? Is your 
faith actionable? Is it genuine? And so we're going to look at the three attributes of faith. The three attributes of faith. The first one is actionable faith is compassionate. Look at what it says there in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So what's James doing? He's giving an illustration. He's saying a brother or sister. This is a brother or sister within the church. These are people within the church who themselves are hungry and not, they don't have enough clothes. That's a real issue in first century uh, Jerusalem. And so J James is really bringing it down to practical matters. In fact, most of us in this room, if we ever read James, we felt a little uncomfortable, right? How many of you ever felt uncomfortable reading the book of James? Why? Because he hits you right between the eyes. He tells you, it's good to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But then if you don't put feet to that, then it means nothing. And so James is here is really challenging his audience, these early Jewish converts, by giving them this illustration. And it's interesting because our response a lot of times when we see a need in the church is to say what? I'll pray for you. Now here's a question. Do you say that and then really go and pray for that brother or sister or family? Or sometimes you'll say it because it's the first thing out of our mouth and then what happens? We forget to pray and lift up that person or that family. So here's a little trick. If you say to somebody, I'll pray for you, do it right then. Stop right there and lift that need right up to the Lord. And that's active faith. Secondly, if they have a need, a physical need, a spiritual need, some other emotional need, then you find ways to make it work. You do something for them. Because as Paul said, it's not just believing faith, James says you've got to live it. You've got to live it. And so compassionate faith is really the essence of what Jesus is or what he was. Look at Jesus at Mark 8, 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, quote, I have compassion for these people. I have compassion for for these people. What is compassion? Compassion literally means to suffer together. To suffer together. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second greatest commandment. What's the first? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You know the Ten Commandments? The first four commandments 
are our vertical relationships to God. You shall love the Lord your God first. Keep him first. You shall have no graven images. You shall not you misuse the name of God in vain. And you must keep the Sabbath holy. And so God's relationship with us is our vertical relationship. That's handled by the first four commandments. And that's what Jesus is saying is that this is the greatest commandment. Your vertical relationship with God. But then there's the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's our horizontal relationship. Every other commandment, the numbers 5 through 10, are dealing with our personal relationship one with another within the church and outside the church. So you see, Jesus, when he said these are the two greatest commandments, he is lumping all of the Ten Commandments into those two. And so when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's literally saying agape love. That is, that you will sacrifice everything you have in order to provide for them. That is what agape love does, and that's the kind of agape love that we found Jesus Christ performing on the cross. But then we also think about this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ said, Do unto others that which you would have them do unto you. We know that as the golden rule. It's the golden rule. Now that concept was not new with Jesus. 500 B.C. in the Eastern religions of the world. Do you know what their rendition of that same concept was? Don't do to others that which you would not do to them. Now you see the difference. One is passive. The Eastern thought process is passive. I'm not going to do something to you if I don't want you to do it to me. The idea here is that it's a passivity. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit back. I'm not going to steal from you because I don't want you to steal from me. I'm not going to lie to you because I don't want you to lie to me. But Jesus takes that concept and turns it on its head. Why? Because then he, he forces it to be active. Do to others that which you would have them do to you. Do you see the active faith there? Jesus is requiring us to take a step of faith and to move and to do something for that other person. Love is a verb. It's not an emotion. Love is a verb. But we oftentimes think we don't have the time, we don't have the energy, we don't have the effort to put forth to do what we need to do. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others that which you would have them do unto you. You kids in school, you're just starting out this year, maybe a new class, maybe you have some new classmates. Is there somebody in your class that you can do to them that is good? You can serve them. You can show them mercy. You can befriend them. You can find somebody in the class that's not really kind of connecting with everybody else, you can connect with them. Is there somebody on your block, in your neighborhood, at your kids' sporting events? Is there somebody that you can take the initiative and go and build a bridge of love? This is where James's heart is. He wants you to move. We, Ashley River, how many of you remember? I told you, hold up your cross. 
right? Hold up your cross several weeks ago. Why? Because the cross is a reminder that we have to be moving into the community of West Ashley and showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said this in his Sermon on the Mount, a tree is known by its fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He then goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. Are you sitting here this morning, and in the real, very serious part of your heart, are you the one who has said, Lord, Lord? But you can't necessarily point to a moment when your faith, your your words, have been manifest into action on behalf of the kingdom of God. That's the introspection that all of us must have. In John chapter 15, Jesus uh, carries forward this idea. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow, what heavy words. But it's true. Imagine yourself as a branch. If you're not connected to the vine or to the roots, what happens? You cease to receive the nutrients. You cease to receive all of the life of that vine. And you die. You turn brown and die. That's what happens to branches that are not connected to the sun. Jesus himself said, I am the vine. If you're not connected to me, you can do nothing. We, the church, must constantly come to the Son, who is the root, the root of Jesse, it says in Isaiah. And we have to t- plug into him. And when you plug into Jesus Christ, then all of the life, the living water, flows through you into the world that so desperately needs hope. That is faith. That is faith that is active. John, in his first letter, says this, If anyone has material possessions, and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Wow. Those are harsh. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this myself, and I'm going, wow, this is very convicting. But let me just share with you that this church, for the 34 and a half years I've known you, has been a loving an actionably faithful church. Just this last week, we had two deacons go and visit one of our members who is in hospice care, and they spent time with her, loving on her, praying for her. Folks, that's active faith. We had another member in our congregation who needed some uh, work done on their yard, and a whole host of people in this congregation came together under Harry Buckeaster's leadership, and they came and cleaned that yard out to get it prepared for sale. It's amazing. This is how the church is supposed to take care of itself. Do you have a need? You call us, and we'll be there, especially after this sermon, right? Right? Everybody's going, oh, I'll oh, oh, sign up, you know? But that's what it's about. That's what the church is about. What makes us different than the world? The world wants to turn its eye away from what is needed, but not this church. This church is going to love its 
own. I'll, I told you before, the first time I walked through those doors, they came and sat me down right with the singles group that was sitting over there. And they, what do they do? They asked me out to lunch. Who doesn't like lunch? I was 23 years old. I wanted lunch. We went to lunch, a place called Annabelle's. How many remember that place? Woo, it's been a while. In the city, what used to be the Citadel Mall, right? We had lunch. It was a great time. And then they said the thing that I wanted to hear most, Randy, after lunch, we're going to go play basketball. And I was like, man, that's actionable faith. I can do that. Yes. That's what it's about, folks, building relationships. So if you need something, this is the church for you to be able to be served in that way. But faith is not just actionable. Faith is not just compassionate, but it is cooperative. Look at what uh, James here is saying. In verse 18, he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. They're working together. In verse 19, we get this interesting phrase from James for this interesting truth. Verse 19 says this, you believe that there is one God. Good. You believe that there is one God. Good. You, everybody, we're on, we're on board. There is one God, right? One true God. We all believe that. He says, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Folks, once again, you can believe a lot of things and still not be in Christ. I can guarantee you that the demons will not be in heaven, but they believe. In fact, it's interesting, during, during Jesus' earthly ministry, several times Jesus cast demons out of people. Why? Because the king of glory came and penetrated the devil's domain, and it stirred up the demonic activity during his earthly ministry. And as Jesus approached people who were possessed by a demon, these demons recognized him and acknowledged him for who he is. On one occasion, they said to him, what do you want from us, son of God? Did you hear that? What do you want from us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Wow. These are the demons talking to Jesus. On another occasion, they said, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. So even the demons believe that Jesus is the one. You can say Jesus is the one, but if you have no fruit in your life, check your faith. So simply saying you believe is not enough. It must be manifested by action. I, I had a book uh, I assigned to the deacons when I was deacon chair about 20 years ago, and it was called The Servant. And in that book, it talked about uh, how a lot of times our intentions are good, but they don't ever get followed up by action. And so the guy wrote a formula in the book, and I shared that with the deacons. It was a fascinating formula. It said, intentions minus actions equals squat. True. It's true. If you have good intentions, well, we all know what that uh, phrase is or that saying, how it goes, right? The road to hell is what? Paved with what? Good intentions. In verse 22, he goes on to say that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete. You see that? 
Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. We'll talk about exactly what Abraham did here in a moment. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Is our faith working itself out in real living? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul actually honors the Thessalonian church with these words. I continually remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. You see, Paul saw the Thessalonian church as a church that really embraced not only the, the believing faith, but the living faith. And so in Romans 12 and Ephesians uh, 4 and also again in 1 Corinthians 12, we see the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts that every single believer in Jesus Christ are bestowed with one or more spiritual gifts. You can see the list. It's clear there's not an exhaustive list. But Paul says in Romans 12, these words, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his what? Faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You see, many of us in this room are already using our gifts. Are you using yours for the kingdom of God? What is your gift? Can you teach? Do you have a knowledge of the Word of God? Do you have a love for the Word of God? Do you want to stand up under the Word of God and say, this is the Word, it is enduring, it is lasting, it is holy, it is true. I want to expound upon it. I want to share it with my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers. Start a Bible study in your workplace. Start praying for your workers, co-workers, your friends at school. Your, your friends out in the community, pray that God will give you opportunity to do that. Use your gift of teaching. How about if you sing? Anne-Marie would love to hear you come up to her after the service this morning and say, I can sing. And then she'll say, hum a few bars. <laughs> it can't be like that narcissistic opera star who just had one song. Me, 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 me. Sorry, that was... I, I shouldn't have done it, but I did. It was on the tip of my tongue, you know. <coughs> can, you, can you play an instrument? Who, who can play an instrument in here? You can use it for the glory of God. Can you serve? Can you help? Can you lead? Can you show mercy? You know what? The spiritual gifts of teaching and preaching are no better, no more important than the person who meets a friend at Starbucks on Wednesday morning and suffers along with them, has compassion and mercy for them. In the quiet moments, nobody can see it. Nobody even sees. It's not up there up in front of everybody. No, it's in the quiet moments with another person. If you have the gift of mercy and you're not using it, start using it today. You see, faith and deeds are cooperative. Your faith has to be put into action. Then thirdly, faith is courageous. 
you know, it's interesting, James here, he says uh, in verse 21, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? His faith was made complete by what he did. Now, you know, Mandy read Rahab this morning, but I want us to turn back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. And if you're seeing a motif here or a theme develop over the last three weeks when I've been talking about faith, one guy keeps coming up, doesn't he? His name is Abraham. Abraham is the model of faith, but we have to recognize that even Abraham looked to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. But if you know anything about Abraham's story in Genesis, and you should, we know this, that Abraham was very old, and his wife was barren, and God tells him in chapter 15 of Genesis, you will have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And Abraham's like, that sounds great, God, but right now, I am old and my wife is barren. That's not what he says. Genesis 15, 6 tells us Abraham's faith. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So now that he has a son, he's about 13 years of age, and in Genesis 22, we pick up the story of Abraham and his one and only son. And in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Oh, by the way, if you're not in tune with God, you'll miss it. We need to be in tune with God. How are we in tune with God? Through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, through worship. When you're in tune with God, you hear him. You hear his voice. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I first read this passage, I thought, wow, that is really, that's crazy. God's asking Abraham to do something that's really remarkable, almost devastating. He finally has this son. And God's saying, I want you to give him up. I don't know about you folks, but I think I would have waited around and see to see if God would change his mind. I think I would have stalled. I think I would have kind of maybe slept in the next day, hoping that God would come to me and say, okay, I just wanted to see. No, no. It says in verse 3 something that is even more remarkable. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. That's faith. He not only saddled the donkey, he took his servants with him, he took his son Isaac with him, and then in verse um, uh, 5, he says, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there to Moriah, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Well, we find out later in Hebrews chapter 11, which we discussed two weeks ago, that Abraham reasoned that even if his son had died, God could raise him from the dead. 
And that's faith. And see, Abraham said, we will come back. So he takes the wood, verse 6, he took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, made him carry the wood. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two then went along together. Isaac spoke up. You can imagine this 13-year-old kid. He's sitting there going, okay, you know, I've got a question. Abraham says, yes, my son. And Isaac says, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? The fire and the wood are here, but where is the burnt offering lamb? Abraham answered, classic, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. Abraham raised his knife after having bound his son Isaac to the altar. And then the angel of the Lord. Remember I told you, you have to be in tune. The angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham. Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. In verse 12, he says this. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from me, your son, your only son. It was a test. Remember last week I said your faith is going to be tested. Here was Abraham's test, and he passed it with flying colors. In verse 13 it says, Abraham looked up. He looked up. There's a lot there, folks. He looked up. In John chapter 8, Jesus would say, Abraham saw my day and was glad. I don't know if you get that this Bible is all pieced together in such an amazing way. That, that in the mind of the Holy Spirit and God, John chapter 8 was written at the same time as Genesis 22. That the, we, we read it kind of as a, a novel, as if it's an unfolding of events, but folks, this is the plan of God imprinted on our world. It is real. Abraham saw Jesus' day. Do you realize that Mount Moriah, where Abraham sacrificed that ram, is the same mountain range of Calvary, where the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, paid the ultimate price, was our sacrificial so the faith of Abraham is in the God who knows the end from the beginning. Jesus is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is, he has always been, and he will always be God. He is eternal from past to future. And we see here what happens. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, a thicket. Some scholars say this is a picture of the crown of thorns that were placed on the head of our Savior. That this is really pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice of the Son of Man. And so Abraham, in verse 14, called that place, the Lord will provide. 
So Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. He was courageous. But then we look at Rahab. Go back to James. <coughs> and Mandy read it for us, so we don't need to go through all the details, but we do know this. Number one, she was not an Israelite. Number two, she was a prostitute. Number three, she had heard. She had heard, and everybody in her country had heard about God moving the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the land that he had promised them, the promised land. They had come to the eastern side of the Jordan, and now they were sitting there on the east side of the Jordan, and, and Joshua sends the two spies in. And these two spies come in, and they find Rahab, who considered herself as a person who wanted to help them because she knew that their God was the true God. It's called the greater good principle. She understood that the God of the universe was in charge of what's going on. She wants to partner with him. And so she does. And we find that Rahab, who ultimately would become the great-grandmother of the greatest king in the nation of Israel, David. You can't make this up. Rahab was used for the purposes of God in order for God's plan to come about. This is how God operates. He knows the end from the beginning. And so you and I are participants. We are cooperating with him. We're showing compassion for the ones he created. And we are being courageous in our faith. We are moving forward. So remember, last week or two weeks ago, I said to you that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This was Rahab and how she demonstrated that faith. We are called to serve our community, Ashley River. We are called to serve one another. Are you ready to walk across the room and love your fellow brother and sister in Christ? Are you willing to walk across the road, uh, road in your neighborhood and say an encouraging word to your neighbor? Are you willing to walk down the hall of a hospital and visit someone who is sick and let them see the love of Christ in you? Are you willing to go down the hallway of your school and help people to see that you are a child of God and because of that you can forgive them, you can love them, you can and encourage them in their, in their studies and in their own journey toward finding God? That's what the church is meant to do. We are on a mission. We are sent from God to come. with. This is not our home. We're sent on a mission from God. And the mission is that we go and we find first our own path to heaven and then we take as many people with us as we can. That's the mission of the church. And that's what Ashley River needs to do. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Actions speak louder than words. That's James's central message throughout all five chapters. Actions speak louder than words. But when all is said and done, 
when all is said and done. More is said than done. So my question to you this morning is this. Are you going to put feet to your word? That's a challenge for me. That's a challenge for you. It causes us to step outside of our comfort zone. To love the unloved. To walk across the room. And make a Eternal consequences hang in the balance. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're moved by the word of God and as recorded by your servant James, the half-brother of our Savior. We're pricked at the heart to a truth as hard as it is to hear. Lord, we understand that faith, believing faith, brings us into the family of God. And we're grateful for it. But Lord, our goal is not to keep us there. You know, we like to sing the song, Just As I Am. Yes, we can come to the cross just as we are, but your plan for our life is not to leave us where we are but to move us. Lord, I pray that this morning you'll move on every heart here by your Holy Spirit. Give us names of people that we can reach out to and show the love of Christ, the good news of Jesus. Father, I thank you that in this room we love one another. Help us to love the West Ashley community even as you love the West Ashley community. We pray all of this in the capable name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us. And if you are a person who is ready, if you're ready to make a commitment to join this church and be a part of this army of Christ, you come. If you're ready to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time maybe, ever, if you're ready to give your life to him and start your faith journey, today is the day of salvation. If you're ready to make that commitment to say, you, you know what, Lord, I've been saying a lot, but now I need to do. Now I need to get active. I'm ready to get involved at Ashley River Baptist Church and your mission. You come forward. Let's talk about it. We'll find a place for you to serve. Let's sing now and respond.
worship with you this morning, and I want to encourage everybody to get involved on our Wednesday night midweek activities. We call it the Oasis on Wednesday nights beginning at 4.30, uh, lasting until 7.30. You can find more information uh, by the calling the church office or going to our website. But basically, if you're not involved on Wednesday nights, now's the time to get involved, okay? That begins on what date? September 7th. Very good. You all are really good students. Okay, September 7th, okay? So we're going to begin again a new series on September 4th, but next week, Pastor Jesse, who's right there, he'll be preaching on sitting where they sat. You don't want to miss it, okay? You don't want to miss Pastor Jesse. So with that, let me give us a, oh, first of all, Patrick, come on up here. I'm excited. I had too many cups of coffee. This is Patrick Flynn, everybody. Patrick, say hi. <laughs> hi, Patrick. Okay, so Patrick can sing. Or so he tells me. <laughs> so he's going to be doing a solo next week. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Listen, I had the joy of getting to meet Patrick this week, and uh, he's got a heart for the Lord, and he wants to be a part of our fellowship. He is a believer in Jesus Christ, and he has been baptized not once, but twice. And so he's an Anabaptist. Do you know what that means? An Anabaptist is a rebaptizer, okay? But, um, but he's, a, he's a good man of God, and uh, I just enjoyed our fellowship, brother. And um, if you want to affirm Patrick and his decision to join our fellowship, say amen. 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 They're going to come by and see you after the service, Patrick. So stand right over here, and we'll get you started. Now let me do our – anybody else want to come? We're good? Uh, you want to get to the cafeteria? I get it. Okay. All right, let's, let's go um, out with these words from Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. And come see Patrick.